the feel nuts. Episode 191. The one where we're all about the bunny, the bunny, oh, I ate the bunny. The Feel Nuts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you theohorologists out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are... The, the, the Theonauts! Wow. <laughs> Theo, what was that? Yeah. Oh, the, the horologist? What's a horologist? <laughs> horologist. <laughs> the, the study of time. Timelines. Oh, and is it? What not, yeah. Wouldn't that be called a timelineologist? <laughs> it's the Greek, horos. Horos, time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you learn something new every day. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're going to get to take me to school on this one because I'm way behind you on this one. Well, we'll see how it goes. Uh, <laughs> you know, it'll be fun. How you been? Oh, doing well. Doing great, actually. Yeah. What's going on? Uh, we bypassed some crazy stuff at work, and everything is running really smooth right now. Nice. So knock on, knock on wood. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, oh man, I tell you what. Reading some amazing C.S. Lewis right now. Are you? What are you reading? I am. Oh man, I'm just floored by it all. Like right, I'm reading. <laughs> I've been reading three books simultaneously. That by, by Lewis. That's rather ambitious. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I just finished that hideous strength, mm. which started out really slow for me. Like I had a really hard time getting into it at first. Yeah. Like it took forever for me to get through the, through the first six chapters. Sure. It was very dry. And then it hit its stride. It's actually pushed itself way up my list now. Huh. I, by the time I finished it, I'm enamored with it. Really? Yes. Oh, I'm just blown away by it. So much cool uh, metaphor going on and good and evil and kingdoms and what the kingdom of Christ is like. It's just really, it's really deep. So, um, finished that. I'm almost through with till we have faces, which is vastly becoming my favorite. Like, right. <laughs> of course, you know, I'm always like that. Whatever one I'm reading now is my favorite. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and then I just started surprised by joy. Mm. Surprised by so, joy is incredible. Yeah. Um, that's the one he. That's that's it's, uh, oh, that's the bi- the biographical right one. the biographical one, mm-hmm. and uh, the one where he talks about losing his wife Joy right. Uh, no, this is way before that. Oh, is it? Yes, yes. It's it's a, it's actually very ironic that he fell in love with a woman named Joy because he's so fascinated with the concept of joy, right? Of joy, and it so surprised a- by joy. It's about his conversion oh, to Christianity. Okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, 
but yeah, so that's the whole most reluctant convert um, <laughs> stuff. So yeah, I'm jazzed because it's just like right now my reading repertoire has been very rich. Well, you're lucky. I'm I'm having to actually limit my reading to what I've been assigned, which is a whole <laughs> bunch of theological jargon. Well, there's one interesting. I'm I'm reading Bart a, Ehrman. Yeah, you're reading some Bart Ehrman. No, I'm Just... not. <laughs> the opposite of Bart. Uh, these guys would argue Bart under the table. But uh, mm. um, but one fun book I'm reading. Uh, what's it called? It's um. Oh my gosh! Now I can't remember the name of it. Hold on, I'm pulling it up. But it's the the biography of you're like Melanie. Like yes. she, I'm like, what book are you reading? I don't know the name of it. <laughs> well, this is a signed like, reading for me. And oh, gotcha. it, it's the biography of Ad 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 I can't ever say his name. Oh yeah, you mentioned him Judson. on Theopop. Yeah, the first uh, yeah. the first uh, missionary to Burma from America. The first foreign missionary. Uh, to to uh, Burma and actually the first American foreign foreign missionary ever. And this guy's so interesting. He started his journey <clears throat> as an atheist uh, or an agnostic. Then he became a congregationalist uh, like his dad, and right. he went through seminary and was going to be a missionary. Uh, paid by the Congregationalists, by the way, who formed the first missionary society. And when he <laughs> gets on a boat and he heads over to Burma, and by the time he's in Burma, he is converted to being a Baptist because he did a deep dive into the study of the, uh, of, of the word baptism and the study of being baptized in the New Testament. And he saw that it was by full immersion after conversion. And so he had to write back to the people who were giving him money to be a missionary and say, hey, just so you know, I've converted to being a Baptist now, <laughs> which is very interesting. And so he's the first Baptist So missionary. let me guess, this is part of your Baptist heritage. Uh, Baptist heritage stuff. Yes, which is really fun. I mean, it's... Well, of course. It's, it's so unique, you know. We Baptists have a rich heritage, just so you know, you know. We can we can look at Anabaptists like uh, my boy Balshazar Hubmeyer, and uh, and and others as you know deep wonderful theologians. So, anyways, you know, yeah. don't knock it till you try it, David. Don't knock it till yeah, you try it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, other than that, <laughs> I'm just reading a whole bunch of theological literature and uh, a whole bunch of argumentative essays in journals uh, writing a paper, which we're going to get to here in a minute because that's going to be the topic of discussion tonight. Um, something I wanted to bring out. It's very interesting to me. So anyways, you want to get on with it? Cause there's a lot to discuss. Yeah. You think there's that it may, it may go long, huh? Uh, I don't know. So. We'll see. <laughs> All right, let's do it. So the topic for discussion today is the book of Daniel. Yes, it is. And but but not necessarily the content no, well, of the book of Daniel. Well, some of the content. It has to but, do with the content because that's a big part of it. But the mm -hmm. thing is, is, so I am actually on a um, study 
about the the historicity and the uh the authority of of the book of Daniel. Um the authorship mm-hmm. and from a textual criticism standpoint. Right, and and the date of time. And so we'll see by the end of this podcast whether or not I've done my studying or not, because uh, you know, you say that <laughs> I know right. a lot, but there's a there's a lot that I mean, there have been so many just Google this. There have been so many articles and journals written about this one topic that it dwarfs mm. so many other uh, uh, other arguments in the Old Testament. So it's very interesting. But what started me on this is so my professor gives a list of topics to write about. Um, I mean, this is Old Testament too, to write about. And one's just stuck out to me. And the argument is, was Daniel written before or after the Hellenistic era, okay? Before, during, mm-hmm. or after the Hellenistic era is the biggest question conundrum, all right? And so I'm like, well, I've never really questioned Daniel before. But then I started looking, and I, I've noticed something. Out of all the books of the Old Testament, Daniel is the most contested by secular scholars as to its author authenticity, its authorship. Hmm. And that's saying a lot because you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in there, which are claimed to have been written by Moses. Yeah, but it's easy. It's easy to say that those books are just mere myth and folklore. Right. Like it's it's easy to to go there. Whereas Daniel actually contains some history that uh some pre-history dealing with kingdoms of the earth. Exactly. And there's lots of information in there that... Well, when you think of prophetic literature in the Old Testament, there there are some names that pop up. You have Isaiah, you have Jeremiah, you know, you have Ezekiel. But Daniel is a big one. And the reason Daniel's a big one is because you can look at Daniel's predictions from Mm -hmm. uh, chapter 7 all the way through chapter 12... And you see them come to be, right, in history. But not only that, but he has apocalyptic uh, um, prophecy as well, Mm -hmm. more so than the others. And so, in fact, that's another one of the debates. Does Daniel belong in the writings or does it belong in the prophecies, right? And we'll get Mm -hmm. to that in a second. Well, it's even, even even the prophetic portions of Daniel... Or apocalyptic, like even even when he comes right out and mentions the names of the kingdoms, because he comes right out and mentions the names of these kingdoms, right? And but it's uh, but it uses apocalyptic language, so meaning it's obscured with signs and metaphor, right? So you've got beasts involved and you know things of this nature. Uh, and he gives us some indication as to what those beasts are, uh, at least early on in the in those prophecies. Right. So, which if if he didn't, no one would probably be arguing about the authenticity of the book. Exactly. And so that's the reason it comes under attack more than any other book in the Old Testament. And uh, and so today I wanted to talk about those attacks, what they are, and mm-hmm. ans- <clears throat> answer them as best as I best I can. And so uh, just to 
just a disclaimer, I'm I'm learning this. I'm walking through this. So you as Theonauts, if you want to chime in uh, and respond to this podcast and help me out, that'd be awesome because we're going to take this train together. Um, that's a and that's a, an important point because we that, that's what Theonauts is all is all about anyway. Right. It's not us teaching you. It's about us spurring you on to explore. Right. So that's the whole the concept of being a Theo not is an explorer in theology. Right. And so, uh, so getting to the basis of the argumentation, um, Daniel itself claims uh, that it's written in the 6th century BC by mm-hmm. Daniel, who, um, uh, who is taken into captivity when the South, when the Southern kingdom falls under Babylon. He's taken to Babylon. We know the story. Daniel and his three cohorts, which you know as you know them by their uh, Babylonian name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They're taken mm-hmm. into captivity, and this is where the book starts. So it starts around 606 uh, BC, and it ends up around 536, right? Or five, mm-hmm. yeah, r- right around 536 BC, and so that's what it claims. In fact, it claims this in ten places. You can look in chapter seven, verses one and two, verses fifteen, verses twenty-eight. In chapter eight, verses one, fifteen, twenty-seven. In chapter nine, verses two, twenty-one through twenty-two. Chapters ten, one and two, and chapters twelve, verse five. Okay, so there's a lot of claiming of those. Yeah. Those are the dates of. In fact, out of all, well, it's using like. Uh, terminology like in the so-and-so year of so-and-so's reign, right? which we know by our historical records when those dates were. Exactly. So so that's what pinpoints it into down to the year. Exactly. And so, I mean, out of all the Old Testament books, I mean, this one makes a lot of claims as to what year, you know, it's, yeah. it's written. And so uh, that's... The main reason why critics uh, disclaim it. So the very first, I mean, literally in the third century was the first argument that Daniel couldn't have been written when it claims to have been mm. written. Uh, this guy named Pomfrey, he was a skeptic and a uh, a philosopher, uh, a Greek philosopher in the third century in his work, pivotal work against Christians, uh, said that it had to have been written around 164 BC. Okay. So what was happening around 164 BC? Does anybody know? Do you, do you, do you remember? That would have been the Hasmonean time. Frame, that would have right? been the Hasmoneans. That's right. So the, uh, the, uh, Maccabean revolt, um, all that, that intertestamental, uh, mm-hmm. intertestamental <clears throat> period. Uh, that's when they claim that that Daniel was written. And the argument is because it supports the, uh, the Maccabean revolt so much. It seems to support it because, you know, it, it, uh, the, the later chapters seem to support revolting against the leaders. And so, so that's funny. So, so, but Pomfrey's biggest argument and his, his number one reason, this is a reason it, can't have been written in five, you know, finished in 530s BC or the 6th century BC and had to have been written in the 2nd century is simply because 
there's no such thing as prophecy. <laughs> That's his argument. Of course. There there cannot be prophecy. In fact, specific prophecy that actually came true. Exactly. <laughs> and so that's the that's the first argument that secular scholars or secular historians, quote unquote, and you know, whatever mainstream scholars and historians will make that case, will make that argument. That's the first thing they turn to. Um I mentioned before Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman yes. is a great yes. example of this and he'll say so in one of his books um you mentioned it. He basically says, as a historian, which he's not a historian, he's a linguist, so I don't know why he calls himself or gets off, uh, how he gets off calling himself a historian. But he says, as a historian, I cannot accept miracles, uh, you know, even if they even if they were miracles. I'm not allowed to say if they were miracles. Well, this is this is circular reasoning, right? And it it's it's a misnomer. It's it's terrible straw uh reasoning and so but this is what <clears throat> most scholars this is where they start and so yeah. they have a presupposition the presupposition is that basically that that prophecy can't exist right mm-hmm. and so therefore so they're starting they're starting with a bad premise right they start with a premise that uh, or a biased premise, one yes. called a biased premise, and they're 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 trying to make the the evidence fit that premise, okay? Yeah. For the conclusion, well, and so what they're strapped with though is the fact that we know pretty much when the Septuagint was written, mm. and the Septuagint is the Greek translation right. of the Old Testament, and we'll get there, which contains. Okay, sorry, no, no, no to Keep step going. on your thunder. Keep going. But but it, but it contains the book of Daniel. Right. And and we know that it was written by that time that uh your buddy there what was his name? Pomfrey. Uh, Pomfrey. It, 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 we know that it was written about that time frame. So yeah. obviously that's why he's picking the date because well I can't I can't say anything that it was written after that. Exactly. Obviously. Right. It has been <laughs> written. Right. Only. So um so yeah, we'll we'll get to the Septuagint and also the um the Dead Sea Scrolls uh in a bit. But um the the main that's the main argument. So off of that they try to use a couple of big arguments that that are their facts or their proof. The first one is that Daniel contains bad history. So we're gonna we're gonna cover that <laughs> missing kings, right? We're gonna look at the bad history that Daniel. There was no such guy as that, quote unquote. Contains the main argument that most intellectual scholars will use is the linguistic <laughs> argumentation, which is it's very painful to walk through, but we we gotta walk through that a little bit and understand the linguistic argumentation. <clears throat> There's other Good. there are other arguments uh like the multiple authors argument um the the theo- the this is a really interesting one I I came across theology is too advanced in Daniel um to be in <laughs> written during the time like the understanding of the angels like he yes. specifically calls angels by by name that were used in uh in the uh, New Testament yeah right. the New so. Testament <laughs> 
But what but what these guys fail to recognize is that like the Book of Enoch uses the same names. Yes. Right, which is another and more evidence. <laughs> That's right. There's a whole there's a whole uh, list of those guys in the Book of Enoch. The Book of Tobit, which is written right around the Hasmonean time, the Hasmonean time frame, yeah. uh, makes mention of or actually quote, almost quotes Daniel, um, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. They couldn't have been, at, you know, written at the same time. One had to have been written after the other and borrowed right. from the other. And so, right, right. and obviously, it, Dan, you know, uh, Tobit borrows from Daniel. So you have the, the whole theology is too advanced. Well, and you also it. have the, the whole um, Bell and the Dragon, I believe, yeah. is, a, is an apocryphal book right. th- that contains Daniel, like Daniel's in it. Written so, around the same time frame. Yeah. So mm. so there's, there's a lot of uh, that whole theology is too advanced thing. Um, and then... Uh, some people argue foolishly, not understanding how um, we got our sections of the Bible. Some people argue that it's placed in the wrong section, where the Jewish people placed it in the uh, the writings. Nevi'im. Yeah, and oh, they put it in the Ketavim. Yeah, they put it in the Ketavim uh, instead of the Nevi'im, which is the the prophets. The prophets, right? They right. put it in the writings um, to to basically tell us. This contains prophecy, but we don't really believe that, which is total bullcrap. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But. Well, and besides that, the the division of writings in the Tanakh are not about order nope. in which they were written or whatever. It's all about priority, right? Exactly. It's all about about what what's more sacred, yeah, and that sort of thing. And we'll get to that one too. Um, but I want to start off with. The whole bad history argument, because this is the one that uh, people use the most um, right under linguistic arguments. Uh, so they will say that Daniel contains bad history. So let's co- dun, dun, dun. let's cover the history a little bit. So the history is right around 600 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar exiles the Jews to Babylon about 605, right? Um, so Daniel is exiled with his friends during that time. Daniel is placed in the courts. Uh, so he's an official, um, and he's given kind of a a seat of power, um, a bit. He's, he actually has a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit. Yeah. (laughs) He he has, uh, he has conversations with Nebi, um, and he, uh, you know, interprets some dreams of Nebi and, and does some the stuff bunny. like that. Right. Bunny. Exactly. So right around, oh, when is it? It's uh, um, 550s, Belshazzar is uh, um, supplanted by Nabonidus. Um, uh, so Nabonidus rules after... Nebuchadnezzar, and then his rule is not very long, right into about, it's like the five, five, okay, so let, or let's, let's layer that with the actual chapters of the book. So, okay. So you have uh, chapters uh, one through four. Yeah, one I through four. Is, is basically Nebuchadnezzar's. Uh, rain under Nebi, yep. and, yes, and then in chapter five, 
we get this guy, King Belshazzar. Right. And it doesn't actually give us any context about who this guy is or where he came from. Right. And so that's what we're we're having to to layer the writings of Daniel with the historical records because uh, Nabopolassar is not even in the text. Right. right. So, um, so explain a little bit the the relationship between Nebuchadnezzar, Nabopolassar, Belshazzar. Well, who are these guys? Well, let's let's finish the the thing of Daniel. So, so and I, I want to do strictly. This is historically outside of Daniel. Okay. So, okay. Nebuchadnezzar, and then right after Nebuchadnezzar is uh, is. Um, uh, Cyrus, who comes in, Medio Persians conquer Babylon. Okay. Cyrus sets up shop, and that's basically the the book of, the book of Daniel ends with Cyrus in control. Um, so that's that's the historical setting, okay. right? And it, it ends around five thirty six BC. Now, there's two main arguments with the historicity, the, the reason it's wrong. The first one, as you meant to, mentioned, Nabonidus is not in Daniel. He's nowhere in Daniel. Instead, there's this other dude by the name of Belshazzar, and he mm-hmm. su- succeeds Nebuchadnezzar, right, um, mm-hmm. as the king of Babylon. And then after him, there's... It names Cyrus, uh, or I'm sorry, it names, uh, um, yeah, it names Dari- Darius, right? Right. It names Cyrus, but it also names Darius, this mysterious character called Darius the Mede. So mm-hmm. critics will say, let's start with Belshazzar. Daniel 5 says that Belshazzar is the last king of Babylon, two things it says about Belshazzar. He's the last king of Babylon. He's Nebuchadnezzar's son. He's also the dude that's partying and drinking out of the, uh, the, and eating with the, the, the temple utensils, the temple utensils and the, the yes. right, the famous writing on the wall, right? Mm-hmm. He, uh, what is it? Tiki, many, many, Tiko, Parison, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Farson. Yeah. So that very night, uh, is when the Medio Persians many many tickles lead to you farting. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I don't know what that's I'm saying. That's terrible. Oh, even that's that's not the right translation. So, anyways, that very night, that very night, it says that Belshazzar loses the kingdom and Cyrus conquers uh, Babylon and sets up the Medio Persian Empire over Babylon. Yeah. So, critics will say. Belshazzar didn't exist. Well, how do we know that Belshazzar didn't exist? Well, because we have Babylonian kings lists, we have a lot of them, and none of them mention Belshazzar. In fact, almost unanimously, it mentions that Nabonidus was the last king of Babylon. Okay? And so... And by the way, when I called him Nabopolazar, that was a mistake. That's Nebuchadnezzar's father right <laughs> like I, I had it reversed yeah so this is never Con- continue on <laughs> so so there's here's the evidence for Belshazzar. this is what this is what mainstream critics will not tell you and a lot of this is modern study uh, a lot of these criticisms were 
really from around the 1800s like like the the uh, enlightenment on uh, yeah. when a lot of people were like yeah this total bull crap this isn't real and this is the reason why right and so if they base their arg- argumentation off of dated uh archaeology but right. the thing is what they won't tell you is in that 1853 there was a cylinder discovered called the Nabonidus Cylinder, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> In fact, there were four of them that were found, and they date to before the fall of Babylon, okay? And here's the thing. The name Belshazzar is found on the Nabonidus Cylinder. But not only is it found on the Nabonidus Cylinder, it tells us that Nabonidus, it says in the cylinder, Nabonidus says that his Firstborn son is Belshazzar. Yeah. And not only that, it also goes on to say that he entrusted the kingship to him and left for a long journey to the West. And it says that he left on this journey to basically conquer new lands. So what he did was he set up... His own son as a vassal. His son as a vassal or Mm co-regent. So his son becomes, Belshazzar, becomes king alongside of his dad. Shouldn't have left the kingdom in Junior's hands. Right, exactly. (laughs) So, in fact, if you actually, if you look at Daniel, it, it pays homage to this. Whenever Belshazzar offers Daniel rulership in chapter five or seven, he says that I will make you third in command of the land. Why does it mm. say third? Well, because be- there was a number two. There's a number two, and that's Belshazzar. And number one would be Nabonidus. He was the king, and he left Belshazzar in charge as co-regent of the land, which makes total sense when you actually do the history, right? Mm-hmm. But not only that, critics respond, well, okay, so Belshazzar may have been the son of Nabonidus, but he was not... Nebuchadnezzar's son, which Daniel specifically says that Belshazzar is Nebi's son. Right. Well, this is where it gets interesting. So Nabonidus married this chick named Nitrocris, N-I-T-O-C-R-I-S, Nitrocris, and scholars understand that she was either the late, or she was either the wife of the late, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, or she was the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, which either way you go would make. And the reason that Nebuchadnezzar married her was to give, uh, to give his rulership clout, because Nebuchadnezzar is not, or uh, sorry, Nebuchadnezzar was not a direct descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, and so, but Nebuchadnezzar was the man, right? He was the head honcho of Babylon, and he was the great Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody considered him the <clears throat> the greatest king. And so Nabonidus marries N- N- Nitrocris to, to, uh, to give his rulership clout. But either way you go, if he was the wife, or if she was the wife of the late Nebuchadnezzar, that would make Belshazzar a type of stepson. Yeah, yeah. Or... If she's the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, that would make Belshazzar Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, which I I think it was probably the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar 
and Nabonidus and Nebuchadnezzar had their firstborn son, Belshazzar, and Belshazzar is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. So this is the interesting thing here. We, Which is part of the rhetoric of the Bible anyway. The son of can be, or your father, right. can be a reference to grandfathers. Right. All one and the same. Yeah. In, in their they all, they all fit together. And so are they're all, you know, if it's in your ancestry, you're the son of, right? Jesus, right. son of David. Um, right, right. Well, that's a great, 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 great grandfather, right? So you, <laughs> yeah. you can see how that works. So either way, the critics have no answer to that. It's it's shown and proven in uh, the uh, um, the Nabonidus uh, cylinder. Okay, you, you know one thing I find very funny about uh, a lot of this is when we even see the kingdoms changing hands, there is not a lot of information in the book of Daniel nope. about this whole process. No. In fact, there's, you know, uh, chapter 6 and chapter, or between uh, 5 and 6 is the is the actual transfer of power. Right. But it's between the chapters, like the, the, the chapter, right. the next chapter, it's like, oh, and by the way... Uh, you know, it's like it, it pleased, or the end of chapter five, right? Is like Darius the Mede received the kingdom. Yeah, <laughs> like that's all it says. Exactly. So let's talk about Darius the Mede because that's where scholars will go next. Okay, so mm-hmm. we'll give you Belshazzar, but we can't give you Darius the Mede. There is literally no <laughs> mention of this dude named Darius the Mede um, in any other history other than. Daniel. It mentions Darius is the ruler. He succeeds. Uh, um, he succeeds Balsazar, Okay, or he, you know, he takes over um, mm-hmm. with the Medo Persians in one night. By the way, and so right. critics say he doesn't exist. All right. Can I talk about the takeover for a minute? Yes, absolutely. Because you know I love me some Josephus. Yes, and <laughs> and uh, so Josephus details the takeover as. Um, the the um, Medio Persians uh, when they attacked Babylon, of course, you got good old son Belshazzar up there partying. He's not looking for this, and apparently there was a siege happening, but they didn't care. They had the, the river Euphrates running right through the middle of town, so they had all the water they needed. They were stockpiled. They didn't care if there was a siege going on. Right. He's partying while it's happening, so. Um, so what, what they end up doing is damming up the Euphrates River at least enough where they could then wade through the river underneath the wall <laughs> and basically snuck into town and went straight for the palace. They didn't, they didn't even have a battle. They went straight for the palace and took, and took it over. It, it, it said in here that many of the residents of Babylon did not even know that they were conquered until like a week later or something right, like that. Like, right, right. But, uh, but one of the interesting things is Daniel makes an appearance in the historical record mm-hmm. as having met Cyrus the Great. I know we'll get to that in just a second. But having met Cyrus the, the Great at, the, at the, the gate, whenever he finally came in, as the conquering king and handed him the scroll of Isaiah. Right. 
where he's mentioned by name. Yep. By the way, 150 years earlier. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, and so that impresses Cyrus so, so much that he puts Daniel in charge of now his regime. Right. He makes him part of his cabinet. Yep. And so that's why when we start chapter six and there's a new ruler, we also have Daniel still in place. Right. And so anyway, just sidebar. That's a great sidebar. <laughs> and and we'll 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 get to that in a second because I want to talk about how uh Daniel is in fact good history. But so this Darius the Mede character, critics say he didn't exist. Um what happened was exactly what you said. Cyrus took over um uh, Babylon and started the Medio Persian Empire without incident. Um, but there's four things that we need to consider when we're thinking about this dude, Darius the Mede. He is very mysterious, uh, but there's a lot of explanation that could be said about him that puts this whole thing to rest. The first is this his kingship, if you note in Daniel, uh, especially chapters 531, uh, chapter 5, verse 31, and chapter 9, verse 1. Um, is given to him. Everything that, that talks about Darius the Mede, it's a passive um, action of the verb, so it's actually mm. handed to him. Uh, he gotcha. doesn't he doesn't conquer. So let me let me just read to you chapter five, verse thirty-one. I got it right here. Okay, go ahead. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about sixty-two years old. That's the ESV. Right. And take note of that that age, 62 years old, because that plays into it. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1, what does it say? 9 and 1, let's see. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books of the numbers of the years that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay, so Daniel there, by the way, is marking the time uh, mm -hmm. for the prophecy of Jeremiah to be fulfilled, which is going to be 70 years. So he right. starts counting it whenever <laughs> Darius the Mede, and apparently he's the son of this dude Ahasuerus, Mm -hmm. And he's by descent a Mede, right? Um, and notice, so there's two things I want to note in this verse. Number one, he's made a king, just like in, right. in chapter 5, he's given. And then the second thing is over the realm of the Chaldeans. That's very specific. That's mm -hmm. not over the entire Medo-Persian Empire. That's right. over just the realm of the Chaldeans. So there seems to be something in this text that says that he is not the full-on king. Right. Well, this is a big deal because critics will say, well, we all know that Cyrus was the ruler over the Medo-Persian Empire. He was over everything. So to say that this dude, you know, Darius the Mede was the ruler, that contradicts. Well, it's not contradicting that Cyrus was the ruler. It's saying that he was given this specific area to mm -hmm. rule over as a co-regent. And in fact, that lines up with what we have in history according to Cyrus. So there are these things that are called titles um, in the ancient um, 
uh, vernacular. And they're, they're, they're titles given to kings whenever they conquer something or rule over something. So mm-hmm. you have a transition of titles from Babylon into Medo-Persia, and this is the way it works. So um, the rulers of Babylon... They were titled so. For example, um, like uh, Stormageddon, right? The Destroyer of Worlds, exactly. Just like that. Yeah, nice. Okay. I wonder how Stormageddon's <laughs> doing. By the way, is he good? He, he's doing well. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> so, so for example, Nebuchadnezzar. That's a, doc- that's a Doctor Who reference, by the way, for <laughs> nice. all you geeks out there. Nice, and a cat reference. So and a cat. Uh, and so, anyway, so Nebuchadnezzar, his title was Nebuchadnezzar. King of Babylon. Okay, so that was his title, King of Babylon. Um, mm-hmm. And whenever Cyrus took over, um, his designation was Cyrus, King of Lands. But for 14 months after Babylon was taken over by the Medo Persians, Cyrus, his only title was Cyrus, King of Lands. After 14 months, after the takeover, his title became Cyrus, King of Babylon, King of Lands. Hmm. Which leaves us a 14-month gap for somebody else to have been a ruler or a co-regent in that area. Well, not to mention the fact, too, that... um that the Medio Persian Empire is an empire. Yes. Which means there's an emperor. Deal. Right. <laughs> and so the term king can often be used for rulers of cities and rulers of, of regencies or um, uh, provinces and things of that nature as well. So we, we tend to think of it in terms of, well, he's the king of the country, like he's the of the entire uh, empire. Right. And, and so that's part of the confusion, I believe. Right. And so speaking of titles, kings, uh, well, co-regents, whenever they were given lordship over lands at this time, a lot of times they were given different names too. And in fact, we, we have several proofs of this, uh, uh, of kings who, who get different names whenever they're, they're given their co-regency. Um, and a lot of scholars look back at Darius and see that Darius could have been and most likely was a name given to an individual who was made co-regent of the area of Babylon over Chaldea, over the Chaldeans. So putting all that in, all that information in, then we can look at actual individuals in history and we can mm. see that there might have been, there's, in fact, there's at least four different explanations, four different people that you can pull up that you can see could have fit this description. For me, and you made mention of, um, oh, what's his name? Josephus. Uh, not Josephus, but, uh, oh, yeah, who does Josephus say it was? Again, well, Josephus actually mentions Darius as a s- separate individual from right um, from Cyrus. I know that's one of the um, theories out there is that the same guy, right? Or uh, but uh, let's see, where was I on that? Um, <clears throat> so yeah, he he mentions Darius the Mede and calls him the son of Astyagus, 
mm-hmm. um, as the one who uh, ended Babylonian rule along with his relative Cyrus. So it's almost like a joint venture type of, of thing. And then it says um, after Darius's reign, uh, Cyrus took over in the first year of Cyrus. Um, so, it, so in other words, there's a short little interim period where Darius is basically in control of Babylon, mm-hmm. and that's the lion's den story. Mm-hmm. And then Josephus moves on and says uh, that then Cyrus reigns um, until about 538, um, at which time he dies, and now we're in the time of... Um, of Zerubbabel, and and another Darius takes over. Right, not the same Darius. Another another Darius. Another Darius, and so scholars say and Xerxes is after that guy. One one of the um, one of the arguments is that scholars say that Daniel's bad uh, history because it puts Darius um, as the ruler not after Cyrus but before Cyrus. Um, right. and what they're doing is they're saying that, that Daniel confused the rulers or the writer of Daniel confused the rulers in, in 165. And, but that, that's not the case. So there's a whole bunch. Like, yeah. Even, even Josephus mentions Cyrus as being right. part of the takeover. Mm-hmm. Like they're seeing it like as a Medio Persian and that Darius was the Mede, Cyrus was the Persian. Yeah. Like that's kind of how it's portrayed. Yeah. But even if you don't go with uh, Josephus, which a lot of scholars don't, um, there's at least four different people. Um, there's there's a dude named um, Guberu. There's a dude named Ubguru. <laughs> there's a dude named Cambyses. Um, Cambyses. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of others, but my, my, I mean, after researching this to yeah, me, Cambyses is actually, uh, mentioned in Josephus right. as a, as a real short ruler between the death of Cyrus and the next Darius, the Darius, the Persian. Right. My take is that it was Guberu. And the reason I take that is because there's significant evidence in the, Titularies and the Chronicle of um, the, the Chronicle I mentioned, a Chronicle of Nebuchadnezzar, um, that talks about this dude by the name of Guberu. And basically, what happened is Guberu was the general. He was of, um, he was a Mede by descent. He was a general that took over Babylon. He was the leader that took over Babylon that night, right when everybody was partying. Mm. So yeah. he was the general, and right after that, he was he was basically for a time for about fourteen months, uh, and we have this in history <laughs> was set up as the the co regent to rule over that imp or rule over that part of the empire until they had a substantial government set up and rulership set up. He would have been the person that met Daniel. He would have been the person that probably put Daniel in the lion's den. And by the way, he died right around his 62nd birthday. So all this evidence really lines up to Guberu, to me. Mm. Um, And he could have taken on the title Darius whenever he ruled 
the Chaldeans in, in Cyrus's stead. Right after his death, Cyrus, and very interestingly, right after his death, Cyrus takes up the name uh, King Cyrus, King of Babylon, ruler of lands. Okay? So it's it's very interesting, that, that shift. So either way you look at it, though, there's a plethora of evidence that gives us understanding that Darius the Mede was a person. He existed in some shape or fashion of another. So that doesn't negate Daniel. But I want to mm-hmm. talk about... So those are the two major <clears throat> conflicts that, that scholars bring up when they say it's bad history, Daniel's bad history. So it had to have been written way later well, when Daniel had forgotten I, some things. I got a quick question about the uh, about the Guberu thing. Yo. So... Um, it sounds like, at least in the book of Daniel, that Darius is um, kingly, like very kingly, mm-hmm. Be- because they do the the jealous high officials that come and uh, try to get Daniel ousted. They they get him to sign this injunction that says that no one should worship any god other than you. And he agrees to that and, and signs that. So I'm just curious if you think that fits into the narrative of this being a lesser guy or, or if it's, um, you you know, I, I don't know, honestly. And this is where, you know, this, this one right here, this, this study of, of Darius the Mede is the only weak spot that I can say, in, in our argumentation of, of dating him. And so, but even then there's a, there's a plethora of explanations. Another uh, explanation could be that, that, uh, that uh, Darius is in fact Cyrus. The only, the only thing that doesn't fit with Cyrus, he dies um, pretty quickly after he takes over Babylon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I mean, Dar- uh, Daniel notes that. And also, I mean, he is, he's a medio Persian, but he's a Persian descent. So that doesn't really fit with me as much. Um, But he is a very, I'd I'd heard the idea that maybe Darius is a title more so than a name. Right. And that's, that's my biggest thing. I I really think that Darius is a title. And I think that Guberu took up the title Darius. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, well, it's just like the name. Uh, Abimelech right. that we run across in the in the book of Genesis. Sure, and, it, and, I mean it's a couple of guys have the same name in the same area. It's probably not the same guy. It's probably uh, because the time frames and all that. So it's probably uh, a title for a Philistine ish mm-hmm. king, just like Caesar or just like Pharaoh. You know, those are titles. T- uh, t- 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 your names for. Uh, for the ruler of the land at the time. Right. So. And this is something that, I mean, uh, I, we see all over history, ancient history. Um, and so it, it could very well be. Um, but where I want to go is the fact that most scholars, because of these two two characters, will tell you that Daniel's bad history. Daniel is, in fact, extremely accurate history. 
Um, mm-hmm. if, if you look at it and you, you line it up, I mean, that was one of the biggest problems that they had to begin with. There's no way this could be, you know, prophecy because it's so good at its history. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it's too, it's too specific. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of that specifics. So Daniel talks about the character of Nebuchadnezzar. What do we know about Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel? We know that he was extremely prideful, right? Yes. Uh, to the point where he built a statue of himself, right? To the point, yeah. to the point, makes everybody worship it, right? He he goes out in the balcony and brags about his building skills. Daniel also notes that Nebuchadnezzar hanging gardens, exactly the guy that mm-hmm. basically built up Babylon. He's the guy that made Babylon so amazing and beautiful as a city. Um, and so, well, does this jive with history? If you look at uh, one, one, uh, one ancient text, the East India House text, which is from six, it's dated from 604 to 562, which is very contemporary with Daniel. It talks all about Nebuchadnezzar and shows six columns of Nebuchadnezzar in his own hand bragging about building <laughs> uh, Babylon. Right, right. Which I mean, if 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 Dan, if if Daniel were written in one sixty two, how in the world would he have known about the character of Nebuchadnezzar like that? Right, that would have been lost to history. That's that's a great point because uh, we get a ton of character out of Nebuchadnezzar exactly in the first few books of it to, to the point that Nebuchadnezzar is actually ascribed as one of the authors exactly he picks up he with his own hand and writes ch- chapter 4 mm-hmm. is basically his his confession yep. which i mean this is sidebar another sidebar but uh i fully expect to see Nebuchadnezzar in the eternity me too man <laughs> it's pretty incredible that uh <clears throat> that god Basically, you know, humbled him, humbled the king of Babylon to the point of being a wild mm. beast so that he would yeah. pick up and write with his own hand. Another thing that Daniel gets absolutely... In Aramaic, too, I believe. Yes, in Aramaic. Yeah. Another thing that Daniel gets absolutely correct, which is unbelievable if he would have been writing it in 165, is he shows the fall of Babylon happening without a fight in one night, mm-hmm. which... All scholars agree now is exactly how it happened. The Medo Persians, what they do, they directed, they redirected the river that flowed through uh, Babylon, and then they snuck in, went straight to the palace, and took out uh, the leadership without a fight. Usually, sieges like that lasted years. Uh, right. Basically, they set up the siege and they they cut off supply lines and they waited for the city to surrender. Well, that's not how this one happened. And Daniel gets that. Absolutely, extremely accurate, um, mm-hmm. to, you know, and to the point of it happening in one night. So, uh, so Daniel, in fact, is extremely good history. Um, if you look at it all the way down the line, Daniel lines out exactly what happens uh, with with the Babylonian Empire and then the Medio Persian Empire um, to the character of the kings themselves, which is really pretty cool. Oh, another thing that that Daniel gets correct um that a lot of people didn't realize until later whenever they were studying the Medo-Persian law um in most other empires the king was over the law, meaning that the king could make a decree or make a law 
and then he could break it whenever he wanted to. Yes. Well, the Medio Persian doesn't do that. Right. The Medio Persian Empire is different. They actually the the king is under the law. So if the king makes a law or decrees a law, he can't break it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's no way. And so what what happens with with Darius with Daniel in the lion's den? Right? They trick him. They make him make that law and trap Daniel in the lion's den. And the king himself has to carry out that mandate. He can't. You know. You may wonder well, why in the world can't he? Uh, you know, just say. Well, I'm king. Forget that law. Well, it's yeah. because the Medio Persian I absolve you law didn't work that <laughs> way exactly. Yeah. So there's extremely good history in the Book of Daniel, which gives us a lot of faith that that uh, it being that accurate must have come from that time period. Well, and here's another thing: if you're writing a, a text and you're lying about it, so. Let's say it was written post all of this stuff, and you're and you're lying about it. One of the things you do in that scenario is you be vague, right? Because you don't want it to be proven wrong, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so um, Daniel's anything but vague. It's it's very specific, right? Which which the writer would have known this would have been his downfall to make it too specific. Exactly. So okay. Uh, some other things I want to cover. Um, the the main second argument that uh, secular scholars will hit on is the um, the literary elements um, of Daniel. Um, in fact, um, it's uh, um, linguistic characteristics. So, what we have to understand is Daniel was a book written originally in at least four or five different languages. Chapters 1 through uh, chapter 2, verse 4, are written in Hebrew. Chapter 2, verse 4, through chapter 7, are written in Aramaic. Then it switches back into Hebrew for chapters 8 through 12. So Hebrew and Aramaic are the two main Mm -hmm. um, uh, languages. But also there are Greek and Persian words intermixed into uh in into the book of Daniel. Um in fact, there there's a scholar, a famous guy uh, against dating Daniel back to the 6th century. He's he's the guy that really pushed for uh the 2nd century in the modern era. He says speaking of the language of Daniel, SR SR driver is the scholar. He once delivered a famous dictum that said this, the Persian words presuppose a period after the Persian Empire had been well established. The Greek words demand, the Hebrew supports, (laughs) and the Aramaic permits a date after the Palestinian conquest by Alexander the Great. Meaning that this had to have been written after the Hellenistic period was well established because of the Greek and Persian words intermixed. Okay. Right. Yeah. So first let's, let's cover the, the Hebrew and the Aramaic Uh, specifically. I want to focus on Aramaic because this has been, this has been the, the focus of my, my, uh, my study so far. Um, up until the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, most people, most linguistic 
uh, most, uh, what are they called? Uh, um, um, oh my gosh, literature scholars maintained that the, the Aramaic used was of the late Aramaic language. Okay. Okay. And they, they have a whole bunch of little specifics, um, transition words. Is this because they're using like the Masoretic text or? Yes. So that, that was the primary manuscripts for the ancient English translations. Right. The Masoretic text is a big one, but there, there are some others. They, they use other texts, other texts written in Aramaic to date, um, Aramaic, such as the, um, the Elef- Elephantine text, which was written around the time of 6th century BC versus uh, the text of um, um, some of the modern, more modern translations of, of ancient Hebrew texts, okay? So there's basically three different Aramaic periods. There's Middle Persian, there's Ancient Persian or Old Persian, and there's also... Uh, a text called uh, official Persian, right? Well, there's <laughs> ancient Aramaic, Middle Aramaic. Yeah. Okay. So just like every language, exactly. Um, so exact, ex- exactly. So Old English. Nobody speaks in Old English anymore. So if yeah. somebody were to unearth a book, five thousand, thou wast exactly, they would be able to date it to. You know, it, that must have been old English, right? Versus, hey, y'all want to do this? That's that's modern English, right? So right. Y- you can see a transition. That's modern Texan. Exactly. Well, after an... Earth- y'all fixing to go have... Y'all fixing to eat? <laughs> there you go. No, jolly, jolly. Oh, and, and that's another <laughs> that's another argument, by the way. Different dialects of the language yeah. point to different areas, right? And mm-hmm. so people were saying, well... Daniel can't can't have been from Babylon. It the dialect's wrong and the language is wrong for it. But after they unearthed uh the the Dead Sea Scrolls, they shifted their their understanding a little bit. They started seeing that this Aramaic actually fits a lot more with the older Aramaic as well as the Hebrew. So mm. modern scholars today back off of those arguments, but they still argue with the Greek and Persian words. Critics will say the languages date Daniel post 3 332 BC. They have to simply because of the Persian and the the Greek words. So let's look at the specifically at the Persian and the Greek because that's the main issues here. Mm-hmm. Well, there are 15 words in Daniel that are Persian in um uh in origin. All of them, every single one of them relate to government. So if we are thinking like a word Congress or Bill, that would be mm. an English government word, right? With specific yes. connotations. Parliament. Parliament. Every single one of those are um relate relate to specific um government words well what was daniel what did he do he was the a wise man he was he a was wise a, man a, he was an astrologer he was an astrologer astronomer. and he also set especially under the medo persian empire 
He sat in a place of prominence in the government. He did government work. Right. He was one right. of the one of the leaders, right? So that yes. that makes sense. Okay. Six of these fifteen words aren't found after three hundred and thirty BC in any t- any other text. Hmm. Which tells me that that over half, like half of those words, are ancient. Are ancient. In fact, all fifteen can be dated back to Old Persian. None of them pass Middle Persian, and Middle Persian was the the language they were using around one sixty five BC. Yeah. So that argument of the Persian just falls absolutely flat. This sounds like Bart Ehrman type of arguments, by the way. It is Bart Ehrman type of arguments, but most, <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. Is most, and this is the thing, though. Most secular scholars, almost all of them, will unanimously say, "Well, they'll just quote that the dead guy who said it before them." Well, the Persian yeah, and yeah. the Greek can't, you know. There's no way mm-hmm. to. But the, the, the truth is, if you actually analyze the words that are in Persian and Greek. It falls flat on its face. So let's talk about the Greek, for for uh, for example. There are literally three Greek words in <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> Oops, couldn't have been. Oh, it couldn't, <laughs> it couldn't have been, right? Because we all know that Hellenization happened and everybody was speaking Greek, right? That's that's right. that's it. So that's why we have the Septuagint. Exactly. So Daniel couldn't have been written before one sixty five because you know it has Greek in there. Well, first off, let's talk about the Greeks. To begin with, they're an ancient, they're an ancient mm-hmm. peoples. Mm-hmm. Just because they weren't in power before Hellenization, I, they were still there. Were still merchants. There were still travelers. There were still musicians. There were still they were and then they were intermixed in uh, the Middle East all the time. They're, yes, and and let's not forget that the Greeks pe- play a big role in the actual prophecies that Daniel's talking about. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's a big deal. Like, like, I mean, he actually says, like, even whenever the angel is leaving him, he's like, yeah, I had, I had to contend with the, uh, the, the prince of Persia, and now I have to go contend with the prince of Greece. And these are, these are like uh, angelic beings that he's referring to. Right. But it's but he's talking about Greece and Greek Greece is spelled out as one of the beasts in the in the text. So it makes perfect sense that he would do that. Right. Exactly. So you see, I mean, it falls flat. So what are these three Greek words? Every single one of them is a transliteration. Which is a mm. big deal if you know anything mm. about language. So, for mm. example, the word baptism is a transliteration. Yeah, it's it, not an English word. It's not an English word. It's a word that we took from, uh, what is that? Uh, baptizo. Baptizo. And we made it, it, it basically means full immersion, right? Or immersion. Mm-hmm. And we took it uh, and, and made it an English word, baptism. So, what are some transliterated, famous transliterated words? Well, every single one of these words, not only is it transliterated, but it's also musical instruments. All three of them mm. are musical instruments. Well, think about that for a second. Piano is a transliterated word. Yes. Most instruments, if you, okay, let's keep going. Djembe is a transliterated word. Uh, 
uh, guitar is transliterated word. So you most instruments are transliterated words taken from, because another culture gave it a name exactly, and you just, and you just kept the same name. Like sitar, sitar is is not an English word, right? It's not even really an English instrument, right? We it's we see that in India. That's right, <laughs> right. And these are Greek instruments used for centuries before Hellenization. The lyre. <laughs> or the lyra. Exactly. So, uh, for example, um, one of the words, sumphania, sumphania, was used by Pythagoras in 530 BC to describe the musical instrument, the sumphania. 530 mm-hmm. BC, right? Um, there, uh, Sumphania is also pictured in a Hittite relief from fi- from 1500 BC. And by the way, the Sumphania is kind of like a bagpipe, but it's a Greek yeah. transliterated word. Mm-hmm. So these scholars point to these Greek transliterated words and say, oh, well, it couldn't have existed before Hellenism because yeah, because Alexander the great hadn't taken over the world yet like that, like that's going to be the determining factor of the language. Right. But what you don't realize is that Babylon employed Greeks before by 530 BC in all different uh, mm-hmm. ways. Greek pottery is found in Babylon before 530 BC. So the Greek culture was there before Hellenization. There's no way that you could say that these musical yeah. instruments wouldn't have been there as well. Well, because nations grow at a slow pace to, to begin with, and Greek, Greece was the nation that took over the world from Persia. So we know during that time frame, they pre-existed. Right. <laughs> So here's something else, going back to the Aramaic, this this argument of Aramaic. Um, four of the words in Aramaic were mistranslated in the 2nd century Septuagint. Why would 2nd century Aramaic be mistranslated by 2nd century scholar, scholars? <laughs> right. That doesn't make but- sense. Unless it was an older version of Aramaic that got mm-hmm. mistranslated, mm-hmm. right? And in fact, most, like I said, the the uh, the revelation of um, fifth century Aramaic uh, documents, and there have been a ton of recent discoveries of these, all the way up to two thousand twenty, all reveal that Daniel is old Aramaic and official or literary imperial used uh, language used in courts. So the Aramaic is actually a really strong defense for the fact that Daniel was written pre-2nd century. In fact, written around the 6th century B.C., mm. right? Around five, mm. 500s. Um, here's another one. The, the scholars will point out to the Daniel's use of the word Chaldeans. Um, critics will say that Chaldeans didn't mean astrologers until the 2nd century. So it proves it was written late, except for Herodias used Chaldeans in a similar sense in the fifth century. So I mean, you have all these back and forth, and they're like, "No, no, that's it falls flat. It always falls flat." It's a struggle. It's a struggle to try and disprove exactly, and that's the biggest thing about this whole thing. Presuppositionally, they're starting from this can't be 
prophecy. It has to have been history. And the only way that Daniel could have pulled it off or the writer of Daniel could have pulled it off is in a post-Hellenistic world after that history has happened. Yeah. And the fact is all the evidence, the actual textual evidence, when you do textual criticism, when you do historical criticism, it all lines up that Daniel was pre uh pre second century BC, more like sixth century BC. It's wow. a, you know, it's a big deal. <clears throat> there are others. Theology is advanced. We talked about that a little bit. Um it's in the wrong section. This one's one of my favorites because people don't realize that these sections, the they weren't really split up until the fourth century AD. Before the before the, before the LXS even existed, right? Or right. Uh, you have um, let's talk about the the Septuagint for a second. You mentioned that in the yeah. Qumran scrolls, the Desi scrolls, right? Uh, there are several copies of Daniel in the Qumran scrolls. The latest one or the oldest one is dated back to around one twenty five BC. Um, the Septuagint was written around 130, right? 130s BC. Right. Well, here's the deal. Both of them canonized Daniel. One of them in Qumran, the other one in <laughs> Egypt. How in the world was Daniel written in 165 and then canonized quickly to the point where everybody, univers- all the Jewish people universally accepted can, it, accepted yeah. it to where it's in two different places considered canonized scripture. especially especially if this is happening during um the the greek reign prior right. to the the maccabean revolt like if it happened at all before that then the, the scholars the jewish scholars aren't making canon they're trying to survive on the streets under the under the dictatorial rule of uh the seleucids exactly so so it's like it doesn't even make sense they they, they wouldn't even have time to to assimilate it mm-hmm. into their holy text. There's no way. It, it, there's just not enough time. It has to have mm-hmm. been be- way before that in order mm-hmm. for it to have been assimilated. Not to mention the fact that a lot of uh, other books written around the second sim- century use Daniel as a launching off text. We mentioned Tobit, right? Yeah. Tobit, yeah. Uh, a lot of the prophecy in Tobit is is a launch launches off from Daniel and they're supposed to be contemporaries of each other. How does that happen? Uh, I mean, it's just it it's unfeasible for that for Daniel to have been in second century simply because of that. The arguments just seem to fall apart. They do the, when, the, when when pushed under pressure at all. Right, the, the whole wrong section thing is the like I said the funniest one to me because people don't realize that pre fourth century um, when the Jewish people divided up the books. They divided them up with Daniel as part of the prophets. <laughs> so it was after 4th century when the Tanakh became official that that we have <laughs> Daniel put back in the writings. And the reason is, is because it can go either way. It's because of the content of it. It's poetic. In poetic. Places, yeah. there's, a, there's a whole bunch of it that's, that's you know, um, people would call it folktale. But it, it's the stories of Daniel and his three mm-hmm. friends as they're dealing with the Babylonian exile. It's a lot like Ruth, a story, you know, Esther, a story. And yeah. so they go back and forth, but they, they're like, oh yeah, but it does contain prophecy. So they put it back in the prophecies, but then they, so Daniel is actually one that could go either or it's not, right. it's right. not one that's 
It could be historical writing. It could be prophecy. Exactly. And and so this this whole argument of the wrong section cracks me up. Another one, the whole theology thing, people say that, well, the development of angelism and the development of uh of Yahweh or God, the 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 all powerful one, um, especially the scenes of of Yahweh or God sitting on his throne, those couldn't have been at that time period. Um, they had to have been way later developed after the, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees. Have these guys read Isaiah? I know. And that's the thing. Well, let's, let's <laughs> like, take a second here. Genesis has some pretty developed theology. Oh, for sure. Dealing with angels and dealing with God, right? Yeah. You, you keep going. But, I mean. But specifically, God on the throne. I mean, I mean that Isaiah, is Isaiah, right? Isaiah 6 is like, you know, a very specific yeah, exactly. picture of that. So. <laughs> I, it's, it's. It's unbelievable. Though this is by the time that they're arguing that they're just grasping at straws, um, and the reality is, is when you really put, and this is what I love, when you put God's word up to scrutiny, it holds up. It holds up, and that's that's the thing. And has for a couple thousand years, exactly. Like and, so, and more so for the Old Testament. So either you need to keep believing blindly, or you need to change your presupposition and understand that, hey, maybe Daniel was right. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think, you know, as, you know, our job here is not necessarily to say, uh, here we're giving you evidence that the Bible is absolutely true right. and, and, and that sort of thing. It's more, it's more a case of when doubt, when people start poking holes in your faith, mm-hmm. know that there is a defense. Always. There is a defense, and the thing is, is be a theonaut. <laughs> Go <laughs> yes. out and check out this defense, because I, I will tell you one thing. Whenever I first picked up this um, this uh, argumentation for my for my thesis paper that I have to write, I was really disillusioned because I kept running up against all these linguistic scholars and all these textual criticism scholars that were going at second century BC. It's like, you know, in fact, if you pull up Wikipedia, the very first thing it says is Daniel is an apocalyptic literature written in second century BC that it scribes to be written in the sixth century BC. Right. Right. And so, you know, you, you have to actually get past the bull crap and do the research yourself. Yeah. It makes me wonder if the Wikipedia article has article has uh, the citation needed brackets, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like that's where it needs to be. You know, they're really good about throwing that in there whenever that's right. uh, people, people make uh, these empirical <laughs> statements in the week Wikipedia's. It's like, uh, okay, well citation needed on this one. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Well, that, that about does it for me. That's all the proof you need, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, that was great. I love that stuff. Awesome. Uh, I don't have any uh, news today because I spent all my time focusing on that. So, uh, you want to oh. get out of here? Sure, let's do it. <laughs> all right. All right. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social ne- network. Blah, blah. using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. How many times have you done this? I'm sorry. Okay. Visit our website at theonauts.com. Wow, I messed up too. Visit our (laughs) website at theonautspodcast.com for more 
Uh, for more, listen on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher, and be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to info at theonautspodcast.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Find us on Instagram using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. And if you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, David. All right, God bless. Peace. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. Love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is your great commission transmission. At gctnetwork.com. Transmission. Now, you might do your English teacher that way, but I'm not teaching English. I'm teaching eternal life here. I love you. You know I love you. Have I-